Our scripture this morning will be Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live anew. What a joy to sing praises to God with you this morning. There's a thought that I've heard many times, oftentimes when someone was speaking to uh, someone who didn't believe in God, to an atheist. I can't tell you who I first heard it from or who said it the first time. But it's the thought of someone who doesn't believe in God, and and, uh, the response would be, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in, because I might not believe in that God either. A lot of times people make God in their own image, the image they think of, and they have the wrong image of God. There's so many misconceptions about God, and so we're in a series that we're talking about those different misconceptions. We talked about the Siri God who was there just to answer our every need, and last week we talked about the guilt God who is hiding around the corner to see if he can catch us doing something wrong so that he can punish us. And this week we want to talk about the janitor God. And really, if you think about that guilt God and the janitor God, that's, that's two extremes of, of, going to, of thinking about God. A God who's hiding and waiting to catch us where there's no grace at all, so we live in constant fear and one who, a God who wants to punish us. Or a janitor God that's all about grace, who cleans up our messes, who pays the price, who covers the consequences and bails us out. Well, if God's not a guilt God or a janitor God, who is he? How, have we, how are we guilty of taking these two concepts too far? What is the balance when we think about God's justice? Many times when we think of our own parents, we can see these characteristics in our moms or our dads. Maybe you had guilt parents who were always seem to be hiding around the other side of the door waiting to hear you say something wrong or act in a wrong way so they could punish you. Or maybe you had a janitor parent, one who believed that their baby could do no wrong. And we're always perfect. So there is this belief, but contrary to this popular belief, God does not function as our personal custodian, our janitor, who walks around behind us cleaning up all of our messes and removing all the consequences of our actions. You know, if if that's your idea of God, there is a lot of danger that comes with that concept. If, if God is a janitor God that cleans up our messes and the consequences of those messes, then there's no need for me to ever learn or improve because there are no repercussions for my actions. And yet we know that it is very important for our children and for all of us to learn consequences of our actions. Parents work very hard to teach their children the con- concept of consequences. You know, in the Parenting Guide Handbook that all parents are required to read, there is a whole chapter on this, and they all use the same lines. Maybe you've heard these parents. You've read the book, obviously, so you can help me with this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Yes, very good. You asked for it, and now you're going to... Yeah, that was one of my dad's favorites. I, I might have mouthed off one said, I didn't know I asked for that, and he said, you just did again. You're going to get it one more time. How about this one? What goes up must 
or what goes around comes. So see, you obviously all have read the book or we have parents who have read that book. And so you understand that. And what they're trying to teach is the, the, the consequences. What goes up comes down. You know, the cake and eat it, that was a hard one for many of us to grasp. But it's a concept of consequences. And this has been a struggle from all times. Even the first man and the woman in the garden. You know, Adam said, that woman you gave to me, she gave me fruit and I ate it. And the woman says, well, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, there are consequences for our actions. God does forgive us, but he does not remove all the consequences. It's like an absent parent who's been away from their child's life for years and all of a sudden decides they want to return. And so they show up and they start engaging in their child's life again. And they're shocked when that child shows a lot of anger towards them. You know, it's a consequence for the action. When we sin, there are scars oftentimes because of the sin in our life and in our relationships. When we break the law of the land, God forgives, but we still suffer the physical fallout. We are saved as Christians, but that doesn't mean all of our problems go away. It doesn't mean when I come out of the waters of baptism that I'm no longer an addict or that there are no longer bills to pay and I no longer have a temper. I was reminded this week of the old movie, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And in that movie, Delmar is uh, baptized and he's talking to his buddies about how he's been absolved, how he's been redeemed and everybody's seen it. And his other buddy says, even if that puts you square with the Lord, the state of Mississippi is a little more hard-nosed. You know, there are consequences for our actions. And with God, our sins can be forgiven, but they still have serious consequences. And that's been the story of God's children all through the Bible. I mean, just think of those characters. Moses, who sinned and wasn't able to enter the promised land. The children of Israel that escaped slavery only to wish they were back in slavery and end up wandering in the wilderness. David, who stayed at home instead of going off to war. Peter denying Christ. I mean, when you read the story of the people in the Bible, it makes you wonder about them. I was visiting to one of our members, Bill Collins, this week, and he became a Christian as an adult. And as he was on that pathway to giving his life to Christ, he was reading the Bible. And as he would read the Bible, he, he, he kept reading these stories of people. And he says, am I supposed to respect these people? And then he said, but then I discovered, no, the story isn't about the people. The story is about God, about God and how he treats us and lives with us. He's telling the story of his people, and he tells the complete story along with the consequences. So the question becomes, am I looking for a God who will clean up my messes or one that will cleanse my soul? The truth is God does clean up our messes. He cleans up our biggest, baddest, and worst messes, and that is sin in our lives. He makes us clean and pure. He fixes the big things. The biggest thing, he fixed me, he fixed you. He cleans our heart and our soul, and he walks with us on the road ahead. He journeys with us through the rest of our walk. But it is true God does discipline those he loves, but he continues to walk with us. He doesn't leave us. He's wanting us to be better in the future. 
So we have that wonderful truth that if we'll walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 7. So if you want to, as we consider this thought of a janitor God, you might turn over to Romans chapter 6, the first 14 verses. That's going to be our text for this morning. And so Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, I can keep making these messes because God comes along behind me and cleans them up. And I like to make messes, and he's good at cleaning them up. I remember growing up and getting ready to leave home to go off to college. I'm blessed with a wonderful mother. I can remember when I was uh, in grade school praying about my wife someday, getting married someday, and I remember praying, God, would you help me to find uh, someone to marry that's as wonderful as my mom? And then hit the high school age, remember how that goes, and I remember vividly praying, God, help me to find somebody to marry that is nothing like my mother. (laughs) But you know those relationships with your mom, this one who cares for you and loves you. And so as a child, it became pretty obvious I got my clothes dirty, I put them in the dirty clothes hamper, and miraculously they turned up in my dresser drawers cleaned and folded. It was a really a great deal. I got hungry and wanted a snack, and I opened the refrigerator, and there was food in the refrigerator. I, got, I fell and, and tore my, the knees of my, my pants, and all of a sudden put them in this basket, and there's a patch on them, and they're mended and ready to wear again. You know, as I, as I got ready to leave for college, it kind of occurred to me that, wow, you know, mom does a lot for me. In fact, I, like many of you, thought mom, M-O-M, stood for my own maid. And so as I was about to leave, I was going, what, what am I going to leave mom behind? Who's going who's gonna to wash my clothes? Who's going to fix my food? Who's going to do all this for me? And so I started to get a little cold feet and like talk about maybe I didn't want to go off to college. And mom told me what M-O-M stood for. She said it stood for move out, mister. <laughs> it's time to go. You know, we view God in that way of one who just takes care of us. That, that walks behind us and cleans up our messes. And if that's your view of God, you've been deceived. I've been deceived. It's the concept of a janitor God. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Too many of us have been deceived. We want something for nothing. We want to act without consequence. But even sin in its smallest form, the tiniest seed of sin, gives a harvest. We like to to play God and think we can escape. In other words, we like to play God in that we think we can plant one seed and then change it, and it will reap a different harvest. That's playing God. We reap what we sow. Parents told us the consequences of actions, and too many times we thought, well, that's probably true of other people, but I'm different. I can do that and not have that consequence. We just forget about the seed and the consequences 
of a planted seed. You know, you put a seed in the ground and you, you can forget about it and you think it's gone, but it's, it's growing. It's going to come. You can bury it and get it out of sight, but it still grows. Some grow quick, quickly and others slow, but sin grows. And what goes up must come down, or better this time, what goes down must come up. But you get more than you planted. That's how it is with seeds. If you were to try to guess what, the, what a child, children in general, what their favorite seed would be, what do you think it might be? I'm guessing, I'm just guessing that it's a dandelion seed. We grow way too many weeds in our lives, and there are consequences. I like the way the proverb writer put it in Proverbs 6, 27 through 28. He says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? He's actually speaking about adultery in that passage. But he's trying to say there is a consequence for your action. And it is so important that we learn that there are consequences to sin. But it's also crucial that we learn the consequences of salvation. And so back in Romans chapter 6, he said, what? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What an unattractive thought. To live in death? We've died to sin. Why would we want to pick up that death, that dead body, and, and try and dwell in it anymore? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. When you think of baptism, when you see baptism, one of the things you should quickly think of is burial, of a funeral, because baptism is a burial. I die with Christ, and the old man is buried in the waters of baptism. And why did, so I'm buried with Christ. Why did Christ die? He died for my sins. And the, consequence, the consequences of salvation then is a new life. I'm raised out of that, that grave to live a new life. I don't have to live in sin any longer. I can live a new life. So Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That old is gone. There's something new here now. So when you ask yourself, how do I break the power of sin in my life? Well, the answer is we are now in Christ. You know, um, have you ever been tempted and asked, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Here I am tempted to sin again. I, I think God would want to say, what do you mean, where am I? Can't, can't you're a Christian you are in Christ. <laughs> Where am I? For Satan to get to you, Kent, he's got to go through Jesus because you are in Christ. So when I'm tempted, don't ask, Where are you, Jesus? Recognize that as a Christian, you are in Christ. And to get to me, in a sense, Satan has to go through Jesus. 
So back in Romans verse six, chapter 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Wow. Set free from sin. What a beautiful thought. What does it mean? Set free from sin. Set free, free from the penalty of sin? Yes. And that penalty was eternal separation from God all throughout eternity. And we've been set free from that. We can live with God forever in heaven. Set free from the power of sin? Absolutely. It no longer rules in our life. I've been set free from the power of sin. I don't have to sin anymore. Too many times people say, I just can't help myself. Well, then you couldn't. But as Christians, now you can. Now Christ can help you. You didn't have the power before, but now you do. And so live that way. I mean, I mean test God on this thing. Uh, seriously, ne next time you're tempted to do what's wrong, first of all, you think, I can't believe. Here I go again. After 20 years, I'm tempted to do this again. Hey, no, no, no. You haven't done anything yet. You've just been tempted. So the next time you've been tempted to lose your temper... Or, you, or to watch something you shouldn't watch or go someplace you shouldn't go. When you're tempted, next time you're tempted, test God. Say, okay, God, where are you? What path, God, would you have me to take? If I'm in Jesus, where would Jesus go? How would Jesus walk through this? Just test him on it and see if you can't find the path because he's going to show you. Now, you're still going to have a choice. You can follow the path that Jesus would have you walk through that or you can follow your own path. But look and see if God won't be there for you, showing you the way out. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Our worst enemy is death, and death has been defeated. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can live. We live with Jesus. We reap what we sowed. We reap what was planted. We can have that new life. And so just three real quick lessons. Lessons learned and lessons that need to be applied on this concept of, of consequences and a janitor God. First of all, I want you to remember that you can count on God. I can count on God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. That word count there is a business term. It means to calculate, to compute, to consider, to reckon. You can count on this. You don't have to doubt it. You can believe. We're not talking about pretending that you're dead to sin. We're not talking about pretending that sin doesn't have an effect or consequences. We need to start acting the way God wants us to act. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to quit saying, I need to die to sin. I need to crucify myself. That is done. I am crucified with Christ. The time has come to live in Christ. I mean, I know we don't understand it all, but we need to start acting like we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I can count on God. I can also resist the devil, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Christians are not to say, I can't help it, because we can. Christ broke the power of sin. A Christian has a new power to resist. We need to reject the idea that we cannot control our desires, because we can. We can live for God, and that's what we're called to do. Live for God, verses 13 and 14. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin no longer, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. I mean, we make a present of ourselves to God. We offer ourselves voluntarily, and we need to live it. Like the old preacher used to say, too many too many Christians come together on Sundays and sing Onward Christian Soldier and then on Monday they go AWOL you know all this doesn't mean that we will never stumble or fall we will but under the law that would bring death but grace brings life and that kind of grace teaches us to say no We have the power now to say no. We don't have to sin. Sin does not have to dominate us. Sin just drags us down, but grace has set us free. You know, the reality of this truth is probably most easily or clearly seen in a jail or in a prison. With literal prisoners, those who have been caught, who are guilty, who are paying the price. I hope you'll come back tonight. We're actually going to have a sermon out of Galatians. We're starting a new series that talks about freedom. But we're also going to take a few moments to, to have a presentation on our Mission Oklahoma trip that was out over, over spring break. And you'll get to hear more stories tonight. But one of those stories you might have heard about is, is the men who went into the prisons, to, into the jail to, to talk to prisoners. In fact, with us this, this morning is, is Brother Walls right here. And uh, he goes in regularly. His wife Dawn's with him. And so he took three of our guys with him into the jail. Keith McKee, Ken Hollingsworth, and Mark Coleman. And they studied those three nights. And, and uh, six of those prisoners wanted to be baptized. And as the story goes, they, they couldn't find a... That, well, they got a horse trough to baptize them in. And I was talking to Mark about it this week. And he was telling me about the, the story of what happened... And here's what, what Mark said. As each prisoner came into in the area where the eight-foot-long, three-foot-wide, and two-foot-deep water tank was, I told them it was not a horse tank. It was a coffin. And I was going to bury them in that tank and raise them to a new life. I asked each one what he believed, and after, after his confession, immersed him, telling him that he was dying to the way he had been going. And as he came up, he was told that he had a clean slate with God and his path forward had no ruts, that he now had a family, and we were proud to call him brother. Well said. I felt that feeling of that clean slate. And with God, the path ahead of me, no ruts. I remember that feeling, do you? And those six prisoners, with that clean slate and a path in front of them, laid their heads on their pillow that night, 
feeling cleansed, that pillow on a bed that was still in a prison. They slept in the jail the night of their salvation. Do you really just want a janitor God that just follows you around, cleaning up all the messes and the consequences of your actions so that you can be comfortable and go and do all the things you want to do? Or are you looking for a God who cleans up the one who messed up? Who cleans us? Who cleaned me? Who gives us a new life? No ruts in the road ahead. And then I can handle the messes I've made and the messes I face as a clean person not as one all messed up. I might still sleep in a prison of consequences, but I've been set free. And that freedom is offered to every one of you. If you've never put to death the old person, won't you do it now in the waters of baptism? And for those of us who've been set free, let's live it. You need to respond this morning. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?